Welcome to Inside Dance, a podcast that celebrates the Bates Dance Festival dance community. I'm your host, Lindsay LaPointe. Monsell Durden is a dance educator, choreographer, ethnographer, embodied historian, author, and assistant professor of practice at University of Southern California, Gloria Kufman International School of Dance, who specializes in pedagogical practices that prove cultural and historical context in what he calls the morphology of Afrokinetic memory. He was here at the festival for the first time teaching jazz and hip hop. This interview was recently recorded during the summer of 2022. Uh, so my name is Monsell Durden. I am an associate professor of practice at USC, University of Southern California. Uh, I specialize in, I guess, pedagogical practices of what I call Afrokinetic memory, uh, which is basically about understanding the genealogy of African-American social dance. So the, the classes that I'm teaching here, I'm teaching two back-to-back -back classes, jazz, uh, some people say vernacular jazz. I find that problematic a bit. It's just jazz and uh, then hip hop. But th the difference with the hip hop class is the first week I spent on hip hop social dances. The second week I taught 60s and 70s social dances and then locking, which is related to hip hop. And then this week, the last week I'm teaching all house. The jazz class, I've never taught a jazz class every day for three weeks. So that was interesting um, and a lot of fun. And I think the first week was mostly focused on solo jazz dances. So <clears throat> things like trucking or the different Charlestons and, and things like that. The second week we started doing some of the more popular or well-known routines. So it was like a Pepsi Bethel routine I did. We did uh, the Big Apple. I don't think I taught them the Little Apple, but stuff like that. And then this week, uh, this week was a little different. So this week I'm going into Lindy Hop, but to start that I taught them uh, a Bohemian Polka from Czech. And today we did the Texas Tommy. And then tomorrow we start Lindy Hop and the last few days is going to be Lindy Hop and little couple partnering things. So yeah. Yeah, my philosophy is, un it, it comprises a number of different things. So one, I've created my own acronym for dance, which is discovering the autobiographical self, negotiating creativity and expression. Meaning that all human beings are in a constant state of discovering what our narrative is, who we are, right? Uh, the things that we're negotiating, we're negotiating our culture, our mind, our body, our space, our gender, our voice, so on and so on. The creativity then becomes the production of those things. And then the expressiveness is the space that we allow ourselves to be vulnerable enough to share our inner core feelings with others, but more importantly ourselves because we as human beings tend to deny self before anything else. So it's 
not just an acronym for dance, but it's an acronym for life. And looking at us as spiritual beings having a human experience and how we navigate through that. And we do that, or I do that, through dance movements. As we reflect on the dance movements, it's not so much about the movement, but the relationship between movement and music is that we as beings who are a vessel for this spiritual energy are now a vessel for musical interest, energy, so vibration, pitch, frequency. And our movement is to make what is acoustic visible. And so we'll become the representation of sound. And so the classes or my philosophy <clears throat> is structured around them going into the breakdown of what dance is and discovering ourselves and our narrative and negotiation of things and the space to express ourselves and connect to our feelings, but also the entrainment between the body and music and tonality and pitch and melody and harmony, what those things mean musically to how we bring them to life, um, as well as connecting to our chakras so that when we are moving, when we get to certain levels, and I'm asking you to be grounded, what I'm saying is I need you to be rooted in first chakra. Understanding what you need, what you have, what are you tethered to? So then we get to chakra number two, what do you feel? What is the emotion, what is the sensuality around what we're connected to in music and our bodies? <clears throat> Third chakra has to do with what you can do, a sense of power, not necessarily ego, but I can in this sense of autonomy that I have for my role and what my body is doing in relationship to music and relationship to space and other people. And so on and so forth. I go through all that. There's the heart, fourth chakra has to do with a melodic sense of emotional texture, um, emotion meaning energy and ephemeral use of action. So for me, emotion stands for energy, E, which is energy. M-O means ephemeral. And T-I-O-N stands for action. So the, the energy behind our short-lived actions. So it's, we attach that to heart, right? Um, six is the intuitiveness to connect with music and what's coming and how we understand the structure of music. A-A-B-A -A -A structures, and I go through these things in class so they know how to listen and what each instrument does and how they make us feel and how those instruments are used in movies to frighten us or you know to make us feel love or what have you. And then the seventh chakra is just in the ethereal and how we let go and let music happen to us uh, from a space that we don't even understand. We just become that vessel. We become that energy that divine spirit can move through us in certain cases. Doesn't always happen, but to understand that's what we're reaching for. So that when we're moving, we are moving through these experiences in our chakras that are related to, again, frequency, pitch, tonality, and music. And we can consciously think about what those things is, but then subconsciously, there's some other inner workings going on. So that's kind of the gist of my approaches and my philosophy to, for me, what, what teaching jazz is, it's a number of things. I don't even think I can boil it down to sentences, but what's known in the dance world is what I would refer to as, or what many refer to as concert jazz. And so these being the stylings of 
predominantly the stylings of a Maddox or Giordano or Fosse or Luigi Hatchet, most known, most commonly known and taught. But for me, those, that's not jazz dancing at all. It's influenced by jazz and incorporates other movements and true or real or pure jazz doesn't need any of that. And it doesn't mean it's not been, it hasn't been inspired by other forms of movement, it has. But it maintains an Africanist aesthetic in terms of its structure and body alignment. And that's what I'm teaching. Those social dances that came up in those communities that the music was created and this is how the people moved to it and was done in a social setting for social reasons. Not, and, and when you take that from its environment, be that, you know, at a club, a juke joint, at a party in front of the house, in the house, you take that and put that on stage, it's the same thing. There's, there's no difference. Versus the pre-mentioned names who had ballet foundation, had modern foundation, and this hodgepodge of beautiful movement, but none of them called what they did jazz. So I'm still stuck semantically why anybody else refers to it as jazz when they themselves didn't refer to it as jazz. And my thing is to take it back to a social engagement. This is how we dance with each other. This is the music they listened to at that time period so that you understand the people that lived then, this is what was happening socially, politically, economically, environmentally, and for some people a spiritual uh, practice as well. This is the music that was happening and this is how they moved to, to it. This is the lingo that people used. And this is how we connect. As, as humans. And you would sometimes see that on stage. And so I teach that and teach the partnering and a lot of the history and what the dances were connected to. Uh, without the context, we just doing steps or we just moving without any sort of awareness. And th th the biggest thing is for me is about process and understanding the awareness to whatever the form is, where it came from and who it came from because that tells us especially something that was years before. It tells us who these people were, how they lived as expressionists, you know, what they were going to and what they were going through and um, just gives us some insight to speaking to our elders, speaking to our grandparents, speaking to the loved ones that went on, speaking to the ancestors about, oh, this is the aspect of life that I didn't get to participate in. But through this movement, I can sort of connect in a different way. Um, if you are a descendant of that community, then there's another understanding of representation in terms of what images, um, what memories, what stories are connected to your life, to your grandparents' life, you know? So it's a different sensibility and awareness to who you are and who you come from. To, to, have a, to renegotiate what that means. Um, a lot of times we put these huge gaps like, no, oh, my grandparents are so old, like they're, they're not that far from you. You know, what they went through, you're probably going through right now. And so it's a different way to have an engagement with them. Um, whether they're here or gone, if they're here, it changes the kind of conversations you can have with them. Cause hey, grandma, we were dancing to some music that you listened to, or, you know what I mean? So. It, it, it creates a different kind of conversation in the, in the family. And then for others who are not descendants, it creates a different kind of conversation of 
the importance of music in their community or in their culture, depending on what culture they come from, if they even know what cultural dynamics they come from, to get them to now think about, oh, dance not just as performative, but dance as a cultural happening. And what is that cultural happening? What is the folklore for me? What music and dance is in my lineage? And whether I wish to do that or not, there's still insight into who I am and where I come from. And so a lot of my teaching also has to do with that. Um, I think it's also at the core of building a stronger sense of empathy toward humanity. So it's, everything is about getting us to think, right? Who we are, where we come from, what's going on, what's been going on, and we just do that through dance. It's, and dance is sometimes the background because for forms of movement that are focused on having music, music comes first. And through that, as I said before, we express ourselves, not so much for ourselves, but we express what this music is saying. We make it tangible because the music sets a mood. Different instruments set a mood. The difference between somebody playing a box, a piano, and the level of intensity in which their hands are pushing the keys down, to using the pedal, to what sounds that creates, and where that's coming from in them to play in the way that they're playing, versus any of the wind instruments where you're, we're getting actual breath to create sound. So there's a different relationship. You're not just hearing something. You're connecting to a human being that's connected to something higher than them. And so it's a cyclical thing of life in terms of rhythm that we look at from all aspects. And I just keep challenging them to like, we're gonna explore what it means to exist on this planet. We're just gonna do this through this dance and through this song. Any jazz dancing is my favorite. I mean, my favorite two forms of dance to do is jazz and house. My favorite musician in terms of jazz is Louis Jordan. And I don't think I have a favorite jazz song, uh, but Louis Jordan is definitely my favorite jazz artist. That was, he, was the, he was the first artist that I attached myself to or that resonated with me, with the frequency of my, of my bones. Um, my father was uh, or is an amateur musician, plays about five different instruments, and he taught me how to play three of them. And <laughs> before I could crawl, he took the toys off of my bassinet and hooked up speakers and played classical and jazz music. So by age two, <laughs> not that I was extremely active child, but at age two, if you really wanted my attention, you had to play Louis Jordan, open the door Richard specifically, and I was locked in. So the hip hop class is similar to the jazz class. One of the things I want them to understand is the relationship that hip hop is the grandchild to jazz. That all the steps that they're doing in hip hop, I can show them those same steps in the jazz era. 
so that there's a relationship. And one, if they explore jazz, they can open up their vocabulary to add in new movements to do even more in, in their own movement practice. The thing that I want them to walk away with in the hip hop class, as well as the jazz class, because they're so similar, because they come out of the same uh, thought process and experience, I want the students in the hip hop class to walk away with a defined sense of self or some, some little nuggets of inspiration to help define or redefine who they are, to re-examine the gestural practices in dance, to understand the migration of dance, to not just be able to like, you know, get down and to the latest hip hop song and do the latest hip hop dance. Like on that level, it's like, here are the fundamentals of what hip hop dance is. Once I give you these tools, you will never have to take another dance class again. That's how I structure my classes. Dance classes should be like school. You don't go to school forever. You learn forever. But if you take classes, all you need is the right information for you to start doing the research. So the way I structure the class, movement-wise, is that they get the, the, the bare fundamentals and understand how to look at hip-hop dances, what makes it a hip-hop dance, what is the root movement, is that the legs, is it the arms, where does the improvisation lie? Because oftentimes I see people teach and they're not teaching a specific dance. They think they are. They're, think, they're teaching that dance, but they're teaching it through their interpretation. And that's, not everybody can move like you. You have your body and you understand your body and how you relate to music. So you need to teach me what the step is so then I'm free to fill in the space. So I teach them you know, how to look at what I call the four bounces in hip hop. There's four bounces that from the 80s to now, I, I wrote down and videoed and danced every dance I can remember from eight different states that were the most popular, that were on television and in those communities. And in all of them from the late 70s to, I did this as around probably 2009 at the time. And all of them had the same four bounces. And then I started looking at other dances and other cultures, like everybody has these same four bounces and every form just aesthetically approached differently. So I was like, if y'all understand what to look for, if in order to do this dance, you need to do this bounce or this combination of bounces, and it does and it's consistent, that's what you need to do. We gotta understand those steps. And if the rest is interpretive, then you know, okay, the rest of the body can do this, but the legs have to do that, or the arms have to do that in order for it to be called whatever that step is. So they learned that. So hopefully it's like now when y'all see a new dance, with a, if you maintain the tools I gave you, all you need to do is look at it. And you'll know, oh, it's doing this bounce or this combination of bounces, and this is the root part, this is what never changes, and this is where the improvisation is. So you don't have, then you take a dance class because you want to take a dance class and it's fun. But you don't have to as, I want to learn how to, just take what I give you and go. 
Um, I try to train people that they never have to come back to me again. Like if, if I have you for six months every day, you will never have to come back. I'm, I'm gonna give you everything you need to go. But I hope they got that. But I also hope that they understand the level of improvisation in hip hop dance in most what some people might call black vernacular social dances. The whole thing is you feeling out yourself. Like we all gonna do the same step, but we all gonna do it a little bit differently, right? Because um, uh, Jackie Malone in her book, Stepping on the Blues, says that for Afro-diasporic people, <clears throat> pardon me, that originality and individuality are not just appreciated, but it's, it's expected. So I'm like, y'all have to bring in who you are. I leave space for who you are. Here's the step now, what else you got? Bring that in. But so that's that on a, let me understand the step. Let me understand what this dance is, what these nuances are. I understand that my individual presence is expected. And then there's the gestures. What does that step actually mean? And so there's many steps, almost every dance that pops up in, in hip hop and even in the jazz era, there's a reason it's called what it's called. So I leave them asking why, because if they understand, we know what you're doing, you're dancing. So that becomes your what, at least in this moment, your what is dance. Now we need you to understand what your why is. And once you understand your why, you walk more in toward and in your purpose. So the why is part of, why is that dance called what it's called? What is that gesture to do it? Do I have to do that gesture? What if that gesture doesn't speak to my environment? Then what else can I bring into it? What can I substitute? So we, we talk a lot about what the different dances are and what the meanings of those gestures are because now we are definitely in an age where our level of curiosity, our level of humanity is at, in some cases, disturbing levels of negotiation so that we don't appropriate, so that we have better understanding. And that's asking those questions like, yes, the dance is fun, but that dance is actually saying something. And do you know what that something is? So I explore that with them so that they get a sense of like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know that. I was like, yeah, it's, it's, this dance was started in this part of the country, in this city, in that area, and this is what it meant for them. And we saw it through television or YouTube or something, and we don't have the context, so let me give you the context. I use, I actually got this from uh, Sabela Grimes out that I work with. Uh, he does line dances um, to get into the fundamentals of hip hop. So it, with line dances, it's communal, right? You you don't ask some you don't necessarily ask someone to show you the step. You go and you get in the line and you figure it out. And it's repetitive, so we know we just gonna keep turning. But the beauty of that is that I have you to look at and then I have these people to look at and then I have those people. So I'm I'm inspired by everybody around me. And so it's not just that one person in the front. It's the community, everybody's dancing. Oh man, look how they do it. Look how she do it, look how he do it. And that's what you wanna take away that, yeah, I can be me. I can figure out how I wanna do this. 
we're all doing the same steps, but we, but you see everybody has their own little individual way of expressing themselves. So it teaches that you have enough time to go around in a song that you'll get it by the time that song is over. So it's repetitive learning in that way. And it covers all the bases. Like there's going to be some kind of a skate. There's the, the four bounces. There's some kind of a hop. There's sometimes there's a pause in it. So like in hip hop, you have the four bounces, you have rock, roll, skate, hop, and pause. Consistent. Those are the six fundamental tools. And almost every line dance does that, along with you know your individual self. So when I walk in and I give them the choice, you know, I want active or static. So no matter what the difficulty of the line dance, if they say active, then you're gonna learn this like you learn in the club. I'm just going to do it. I'm not telling y'all anything. Figure it out. Follow me. And then when we turn around and, I'm, and now I'm in the back of the room and y'all ain't got nobody looking at each other, y'all got to figure it out. If it's static, then I'll just teach it. Yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's, it's just active, engaged learning. Full body listening in the moment, in real time. I got to get this. And still pay attention to everything else that's going on. So, you know, it's poly-poly in that sense. And that's part of the thing. It's like, if you go to the club, that's what it is. And that's how I learned how to dance. I, I didn't know, I was somebody that was shocked, but I was like, I didn't know people went to dance studios to learn how to dance until I was 28. I didn't know, there were no dance studios in my community and everybody danced. Whether you were two or 82, you be 10 years old, you gonna get smoked by a six-year-old or you gonna get smoked by a 50-year-old. Like, then you wasn't special. And I don't think no dancer is special. Like, I'm, I don't, the attitudes, and like, you ain't, I don't care who you dance with, you ain't special. Like, yeah, I'll get a five-year-old that'll make you look stupid. Like, and you know, we danced on roller skates. My mom taught me how to dance on roller skates. I, uh, you know, at 12 o'clock, the skates, you had to put your skates up and you would dance. So we danced in the playgrounds, we danced on the skating rinks, we danced in front of my mom's house, we danced in the basement, we danced, everybody danced. So I didn't know one person ever who went to a studio and I, until I was 28. And I was like, what? You what? Like, what you mean you started dancing at six? I don't understand. I, just, I, I had students that was like, yeah, my parents don't allow us to play music in the house. Huh? I was, I was what? Just, I don't understand what's going on. Like, it was new to me. I can't even imagine Music was always on in my house. Um, I can't function half the time without music. But I was like, you started dancing at seven. What was you doing at five and six? Like, I, got, I, got, I have reel-to-reel footage of me imitating my parents as two. So it was like, I was, you know, I didn't get it. But uh, I learned. <laughs> I, I learned about it. I was like, okay, this is all right. This is different. When it comes to breaking down movement or you know, having something that progresses. I try to be, there's a couple of, there's a couple of different ways I approach it, right? One is sort of in that active space where I'll just, here we're gonna do this across the floor and do it and see what happens. See if they, if they paid attention, see if they saw what the body was doing. How much information did they, were they able to extract from me? And because again, this is how I learned in the club. I saw people doing something in the club and I thought I had it. I'm, or I'm watching intently to get it 
and maybe I have it, maybe I don't. I go over in the corner and practice it. And, um, or I go home and, and next week come back and hopefully I'll see that person and see that move again. Sometimes I got it, sometimes I didn't. Sometimes I created my own thing trying to do what I saw. So I'll go across the floor and just see like how engaged are they? Are they how much are they paying attention? And it gives me uh, a sense of awareness like, all right, I know what to break down, I know what to work on. The majority of the class got it, they didn't. Or individually I can go around like, all right, work on this, work on that. So there, there's that approach. Uh, other times it's, it, you know what? Even through that approach, I'll see where someone is and then I'll tell me, okay, break it down like this. Okay, we're gonna do that again, but try this. And then sometimes I'll slow it down and then we'll just really break the step and almost walk through it. And then I'll have them go across the floor in the walk and then we'll speed it up. And I'll, a little faster song, a little faster. Uh, until they feel comfortable, always telling them to ask questions. It's not my class, it's their class. It's always their class. Never feel like, well, I don't want to stop the flow of class. That's what you're here for. You pay for this. So if you pay for it, the autonomy is yours. I'm, I'm different than most people. Most people are like, they're not. Listen, if you paid for it, stop class at any moment, and I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the breakdown because somebody else probably needs it just as much as you. So I'm always attentive to them and their needs and how I can do it better. And I learned that from them. I learned that from however we go across the floor that I pay attention. And my main goal is to make sure everybody gets something of that. You know, there is no perfect, but that they understood what the task is and that even if they don't achieve the task here, they have enough information to take that home with them and then work it out and they know how to work it out. They know how to go back to stripping down to the bare bones and like, oh, okay, when we slowed it down, it was this. And I'm like, if you get that, then you'll get the speed, the speed to come. But I need you to understand how to break it down for yourself and if you're gonna teach it to somebody else. So that's the basic thing across the floor. Then there's also, um, you know, mobility and stability. So how can, especially for movement that goes to the floor. So I'll do, like there's, a, there's one move in house, most people call it a spin down. And so I'll teach, we'll just do squats. Like we'll stand and do squats. So first I need to see who all can squat. Who all can squat and keep your heel on the ground, right? Where's the position of your body? Okay, let's fix that. Let's get everybody to a, a squat. And, or at least give you the tools to help you work on a squat for later if you, you know, get through it here. Then we'll like just do walking lunges. And we'll do those, that's across the floor. And then we'll come back, walking forward lunges. And then I'll do curtsy lunges, where you know, they cross the body and go down and come back up and then cross this way and then they'll cross to the back, they'll cross the back, we do those. Then I'll do those same things. So now we're gonna cross to the front, but instead of coming back, once you cross to the front and get down, I want you to turn around and come up and then do that side. So it keeps breaking down. So the drop spin is that. It's where you cross both legs and spin your, spiral your body down to the ground. I'm like, if y'all can't squat, you can't do that. If you don't have the mobility and stability to do a curtsy lunge, you can't do this and think you're going to dance. If you don't know how to keep your back straight in this and have the strength to do that. So I'll do those. It depends on what move we're going to do in class. They're like, okay, 
I want to work on this move. We need to do this series of movements before we can even get to that move. So it just, it just depends on what the focus is in that moment or for that class. That tells me what we need to progress you know, down the floor and then how we need to progress. Michael Jackson, huge influence. I, had water, I, had, I didn't have wall to wall paper, but I papered my room wall to wall with album covers or posters or pictures of Michael Jackson. Except for one corner I saved for Kim Fields. I was crazy about Kim Fields. Um, but Michael was a huge inspiration. The Nicholas Brothers were a huge inspiration. Did not know them, did not know Michael. But they were a huge inspiration. Uh, Eleanor Powell was a huge inspiration of mine. That's how I learned how to spin by watching her spin. Footwork was from Nicholas Brothers, Whitey's Lindy Hoppers, uh, Buck and Bubbles, Bill Bojangles Robinson. Clark Brothers, Four Step Brothers, a bunch of tap people influenced me. Mabel Lee, um, Fred Astaire, Gene Kelly had an influence on me. Ann Miller had an influence on me. I, if you can, if you can't tell, I grew up watching movie musicals, <laughs> a lot of them. And uh, so that was the early influence. My parents were social dancers and well-known social dancers in their community. And then, you know, breaking had a huge impact on me. I was a breaker in my early days. And uh, the lockers. Now, the lockers, I actually met and trained with them. So the creative locking, Don Campbell was my first teacher in locking. And Campbell Lock Jr., no relation. And Shabadoo from the lockers. The three of them, uh, fluky Luke a little bit, but the three of them were my teachers in, in locking. I learned popping from the Electric Boogaloos and Sam Solomon, the creator of popping, and his younger brother is like my big brother, Poppin' Pete, Timothy Solomon. And my early days, Butch Hayden from my community went to New York, learned how to break, came back, taught me how to break. Uh, another friend I grew up with, um, LeBron Outlaw, and that's a strange name, but that's his real name. He taught me how to pop and how to pop and how to wave. And, and that was early 80s. And I was inspired by a gentleman named Buddha Stretch, who I would always see in, in music videos. Back then in the 80s, most rappers had like their dancers. And there was this one particular group called Mop Top. Mop Top. They didn't dance for any particular person. You would see them in many different rap videos. Even if that rapper had their own dancers, you would still see them. And so they were the inspiration for me to want to dance professionally. Because at that time, MTV didn't show rap videos. They only showed rock and roll. Once they started showing rap videos, I was like, you can be on TV doing the stuff we do in clubs? Oh, I want to do that. And so I, years later, I ended up joining that group. And a little later after that, Rennie, I joined Rennie Harris Pure Movement. And met through Rennie, I met Baba Chuck Davis. Those two probably had the greatest impact in terms of my trajectory. 
dancing was something I wanted to do for a profession because I saw them on TV. Even Michael didn't make me want to dance professionally. The, all the movie musicals didn't really make me want to dance professionally. It made me want to dance, but not professionally. Mop Top made me want to dance professionally. And once, once I got the opportunity to do commercial work or theater work, it wasn't as much fun as I thought it would be. And I realized I don't really want to do this. I don't, like, I don't really like performing. I have moments where I enjoy it, but for the most part, I'm not, I don't enjoy it. Um, but what Rennie said to me, because being with Pure Movement is what started my teaching phase, purely accident. I had no aspiration of being a teacher. And so I joined Pure Movement at 28, and you had to, back then, you had to apprentice for two years before you could go on tour. So while I was apprenticing, they would go on tour, and Cricket would have a dance class going, and he was like, Sal, can you keep my class going while we're going so you know, we don't lose students? <clears throat> I'm like, sure. I don't know what I'm doing, but okay, whatever. I'll figure it out. And so that started me teaching, and I ended up, I was like, yeah, I kind of like this. And Rennie said to me one time, we were at his house, and he said, Sal, know your stuff, but know their stuff. He said, anytime somebody tries to dismiss what you do, you use their information to prove your point because they believe that. So I started auditing ballet classes. I started reading up on ballet. I started auditing and reading up on modern dance. I took, started taking Dunham classes. I was taking contact improv. Uh, I started taking more African dance classes and, and drumming and, and tap and just trying to know as much stuff as I could because now, I think the reason he may have said this, and maybe my timeline is off, but it was around that time I started teaching at University of the Arts. And Susan Glazier was the director at that time in Philadelphia and flat out said to me that, and I don't think she meant any harm by it, but she's like, your class is a class for the ballet students to take that's fun and, and, and something, something fun for them to do away from their real technique classes. And I don't think she realized what she had just said. And she definitely didn't say it intentionally for any malice, but that was the problem. When you don't understand what this is, and you look at this as something at a lesser value, I need to have this information because if this is the stuff you believe, if I want you to understand this, I need to get you to understand this through this. So I lost my mind. And this, this is somebody who hated to read, hated. I didn't even read when I was young, I didn't read at all. My parents hired tutors and I still wouldn't read. And, but now this is, it's now through music and dance, and so it's the way that relates to me. And it makes sense, and now I'm interested. And so, just sitting in classes, and I, you know, I wanted to see how, I, I wanted to see how the ballet classes were structured, right? I didn't, again, it wasn't until 28 that I knew about the studio thing. So, but I'm learning, like, okay, they having, this is a structure and whatever, and I'm like, we don't do that in the club. Like in, in the club, it's like, you wanna learn how to dance, do this. And that's it, just copy me. 
but now I'm seeing the language that they're using because now I'm in the institution with them. So I can't teach. My thinking is I don't want to teach this like this is Byron's Dance Studio Anywhere USA. I can't teach y'all like I'm on the playground or in the club. I need to understand how you're understanding dance and movement in your body in relationship to music. So let me hear what kind of language they're using. I got into anatomy and started studying anatomy a little bit so I could relate to them better. I really started studying what they were doing in ballet. So I'm like, oh, that's just like this step. Aesthetically, you're just doing this. So learning how the body is postured, what are the similarities and differences, and that's all from really saying that. Just like, okay, and it just opened up Pandora's box. Baba Chuck would always say, if you want to understand the dance, study the culture. If you want to understand the culture, study the people. I might have messed that up. I don't think I did, but people, culture, dance. That connected with a that that sparked a question. And my question was, why does everybody I know do three things when they hear a new song? They physicalize it, they vocalize it, and they emote it. And I was like, what is, like, it no matter what, you be sitting down, you can be standing up, and a new song comes on, or there's no music, and some song comes on, and everybody does the same thing. Damn. I was like, why? Everybody I know does that. So that was connected to Baba Chuck's dance culture, right? Um, and the people. So I'm like, all right, well, I, need, I need to understand why we do that. Oh, that's a, that's a chemical thing. So then I started looking for books at Barnes & Noble on neuropsychology, particularly if I could find anything that had to do with music. So I found, went to Barnes & Noble on 18th and Walnut, and I found Daniel Liverton's This Is Your Brain on Music. Sat in Barnes & Noble the whole day, just read the book until they closed. And when they closed, I bought the book so I could go home and read it some more. <laughs> And then that sent me into other books on neuropsychology and that sent me into anthropology and then I started studying ethnomusicology and linguistics and uh, philosophy and all these sciences because Baba Chuck, I have to understand the culture. I need to understand my people and what our culture is, what the cultural dynamics are, the migration of that culture, and that's going to help me understand the dance. And then I can explain like, well, this is the dance and this is why we do it and this is where it came from. So that, that became my life. It, it's still, I still read books on neuroscience and anything to do with sciences that helps me understand culture and people better. And then that just became the thing and how I taught and what the focus was in terms of what I can offer these students. Because again, University of Arts was a private institution, it was really expensive. And I was like, y'all pay a lot of money. I can't come in here with $13 knowledge when you paying two, three, four thousand dollars $4,000. I gotta, I, what I'm offering needs to match what they're offering. So it was a lot of scholars because now I'm in this university space and I've drifted away from I won't say I drifted away from, I went deeper into my understanding of it. And it was like, I already know how to dance. 
I, it's the other stuff I want. So then I just started uh, being inspired by other people that I started calling mentors. Um, right now, one of my mentors is Chester Whitmore, who is, I, I don't have words. That dude is amazing. He's in his 60s. He's a 10th degree black belt, about to give it his 11th. He studied ballet as a kid. Fayard Nicholas was his tap dance teacher. He is probably the most knowledgeable person about Lindy Hop that is living. Directly comes out of Frankie Manning and all of them. Used to perform with Duke Ellington when he was young. Teaches tap dance, teaches Lindy Hop, teaches solo dances. He runs his own 18-piece orchestra. He edits films for Hollywood. He was just in a Doja Cat video. He's choreographed. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. And I'm like, I get to study under you? <laughs> like, I'll chase this dude everywhere he goes. And he just was in Harang in Sweden, and then he went to Hawaii. Now he's back in L.A. and texting me like, when you come home? Because we got some stuff to do. Um, so he's my biggest influence now. And then just, you know, different scholars, and most of the scholars are women because I believe women do more work than anybody. Like, the, some of the greatest writings are women, at least in my experience. And, like, the heritage lies with women, and I'm not wrapped up in the history. I want the history, but I want the heritage. And the heritage is with the women. And, and the work, like Onye's here, the work I see the women do, I'm like, Onye inspires me. You know, Brenda Dixon Gottschills inspired me. Jackie Alone inspires me. Yvonne Daniels inspires me. The list goes on, and it's mostly women. Um, but yeah, those, it's more scholarly now than like the dance community. I wrote a six week uh, online course for NDEO that started August 1st. So I'm doing that. I actually have to meet with the students this Sunday uh, do Zoom meetings every week to, because <laughs> they wanted me to do, to reply. They, they, I guess the way they have it set up is that you take the online courses and you turn in homework. And I was like, I, I don't have time for that. I was like, I'll meet with them on Zoom. And so they were like, we've never done that. Well, y'all have to do this because that's the only way I can do this. So that's going to be fun. I like to be in conversation, not reading and, and not want to do that. But, um, so yeah, that's going on, and then I have my own online course. It's a three-month course that's going to drop on my Patreon page in November. Um, I started my company in, during the pandemic called Intangible Roots. Um, I've had the name since 2010, but I never did anything with it. So that started, and that's basically an educational program to uh, to bridge the gaps between the universities and the community. So teaching those dancers in the community that, you know, have been dancing for 10 plus years and really good teachers, but don't know how to navigate the institutions. So I'm trying to help them learn how to navigate, you know, learn how to put a put their resume together, learn how to, to create a syllabi and so on and so forth. And I'm developing supplemental materials for those who are in who are professors, like, oh, you want to lecture on jazz, you want to lecture on uh, minstrelsy, you want to lecture on hip-hop, you want... So I'm developing all these PowerPoints and, and PDFs and just tools to get to, to offer them so that they can have some information and some material, because it's not a lot on hip-hop. There's a lot of scholars who have written on rap, but not when it comes to dance, 
not so much. Um, so I'm working on that. And I am speaking soon in October at Bentley University, I think in Boston. And uh, I guess I can say this is already out. I'm working as a consultant on a new Broadway show called The Hippest Trip. It's about Soul Train. And uh, Rutledge Books just reached out to me to write a new textbook on African-American dance. So I'm going to start working on that. And um, I'm going to start working on a new documentary soon. Uprooted is problematic because it doesn't uproot anything, right? If you uproot something, you kill it. So first of all, uprooting is not a good thing. And the film was originally called Transmissions when they started. It was, the book, it was inspired by the book that I have an article in, which was Jazz Dance, The History and Roots and Branches. That inspired them to make the film, but that book, some people found the book problematic, which is why we wrote a second book, or why uh, Wendy and Lindsay uh, decided to do a second book. The second book focused more on an African, and when I say African, I mean black. Uh, I just have trouble with the word black and white. They don't, they don't exist. But it focuses on an African aesthetic, right? Not what we know as jazz. So to, to sort of write some of the missteps in the first book. But the first book is what inspired the film. The film started off as Transmission, and they, there, I believe, I don't concretely know this, and I, I became friends with the cinematographer and the producer. And in conversations, they realized they didn't know any of this information. They were raised on the Fosse Luigi thing, and that's what they thought jazz was. And that's what they made. And I think, and other people have said this, that somewhere in the process of making that film, they went through their budget, but also found out, oh, it's this. So they tried to cut in stuff and they didn't have the budget to really go into it. So that's what I think happened. Them changing, making the decision to change the title from Transmissions to Uprooted, in my opinion, compared to what they finally, what the final product was, was that the only thing that was uprooted was their knowledge. And to title a film Uprooted suggests to me that you're gonna uproot the status quo. That, no, it's not Fosse, it's not Luigi, it's not, it's not, and here it is. They didn't do that. They don't focus on anyone black until 55 minutes into the film. It starts off with me talking, which is cool, I'm honored, but y'all didn't make a lot of connections. And you were thrown alley-oops a couple of times in the film and y'all just didn't dunk it. And one of those times was with Melanie George, where Lisa asks, 
you know, they, the, the, the list, who's on the list, and, and she's, I'm paraphrasing, but she's like, what list? And she goes through Luigi, whatever. And Melanie says, it's an incomplete list, which personally I disagree with. I, I don't think it's an incomplete, I don't think they should even be on it. But that was a moment to say, well, okay, well, who are these other people you're talking about? They didn't do it. Second time they got, and these are major, these are like game winners. Steph Curry, game winners. Jordan, LeBron, game winners. And they just, and the second time was uh, when Salima said, normally we start with, again, I'm paraphrasing, normally we start with Jack Cole, but if you look, there's some other spaces we could, you know, begin that conversation. No dunk. And I, when they interviewed me, one of the questions, <laughs> I'm about to curse, so pardon me. Uh, when they interviewed me, one of the questions they asked was, well, what about Jack Cole? Trigger. First words out my mouth, fuck Jack Cole. And I was like, y'all can't really use that, so let me explain, <laughs> let me explain. And so they, I gave them a lot of time, like y'all had, and so, you know, Salim was like, that's not the place to start. So what do y'all do? Y'all spent 11 minutes talking about Jack Hole. Y'all gave ample time for Luigi and, you know, interviewed people to like why Luigi was important. Bob Burroughs told you that Matt Maddox didn't call what he did jazz dancing. But he still... Jerome Rob why is Jerome Robinson even in this conversation? He ain't a jazz dancer. Like, I don't know why y'all keep calling him jazz. Cause West Side Story is horrible. It's my favorite, that's my favorite, one of my favorite musicals. But for jazz dancing, that ain't jazz. Not to mention everybody's in brown face, which is a problem. And then all of them, all everybody's supposed to be Puerto Rican is German. Like, I, I don't, y'all really messed this one up. And they ain't doing nothing reflects, even though you singing about being from Puerto Rico, how come none of their movement looks like they from Puerto Rico? Their movement looks just like the Jets. But one's supposed to be from America and one's supposed to be, you messed this up. You're doing all the same thing. That's a whole other conversation. But they kept doing this. I'm like, they only, so y'all bring up Fred Benjamin. Okay, you brought up Fred Benjamin. Fred Benjamin's not in the normal conversation of jazz dance. You brought up JoJo Smith. Jojo Smith ain't in the world. Okay, yeah, we got now we got two. Oh, Pepsi? You really should have brought up Pepsi, but yeah, we got Pepsi now, okay? Where the women? Ida Overwalker? You show me a picture of Florence Mills, but don't give me no insight into who Florence Mills was. You don't talk about Ida. You don't talk about Florence Hill. You don't talk about Norma Miller. You don't talk about Mabel Lee. You don't talk about Jenny Lagon. How you not talk about Jenny Lagon changed the whole trajectory for women as tap dancers in the business? Like, where the women at? There's no focus on women. You show me a picture of Norman Miller with Billy Ricker. You show me a picture of Al Mins and Leon James, but you don't explain who they are and what they contributed. So I'm like, I hate that film. And I'm very vocal about it. And I'm going to continue to be vocal about it. I'm actually going to make, I, I put up, I went live on Instagram and, and broke the whole film down. I took that down because I'm going to do it again. 
but this time I'm gonna do it. I'm going over to a friend who can like, I can watch the film and I don't have that kind of equipment. I can watch the film and talk about it. And I was like, I'm really, and then I'm gonna post it as Uprooted. So anytime you click and search for Uprooted, you're gonna get that. Cause like, no, y'all need to know it's a well-made film, looks great. Some of the edits, eh. But y'all ain't know your history. And you from the UK and you did not mention Clarence Buddy Bradley. How? One, he's from my hometown, so that's how I know him. But he's the one that took jazz dancing and opened up a studio in London. How y'all ain't talk about him? Like, y'all ain't talk about the, the influence that American jazz had on the jazz community in London. Y'all should not have made this film. And then you have the nerve to put out educational, to, no, stop. Stop making money and don't, uh, stop. So yeah, that, that film is a problem. Wow. <laughs> Many people love it, but I'm just like, in my opinion, if I make a documentary, I'm supposed to do the research to be like, here's what you didn't know. I shouldn't have to watch a documentary and then have to go do research. That's what the documentary's for. So they didn't do their job. And you know, they was in the hole and budget, so they had to do something. And I'm like, now I guess they're trying to make, I'm like, yeah, y'all, that's a poor decision. Like, no. And every opportunity I have to say no, I'm gonna say no. We're actually screening it at my school and we're bringing them, which I'm going to love. Because I, I, when I got here the first week, someone had said, yeah, we just showed it to the, the, uh, the younger. Uh, and I was like, well, I'm here. Let's, let's watch it again, and I can, we can talk about it. Because I can definitely tell you some stuff that ain't in there. So, yeah. I'll be looking forward to seeing your version. Um, so, <laughs> can't wait to. And I just, I just recently, I started doing... Um, through Intangible Roots, what I call knowledge drops. And I'm gonna continue those. I stopped for a while, but it's basically like stuff people didn't know. Like what I just said. So I did a, the ones that are up, and I think I have seven up. I did one on Fosse where I actually let, I didn't say nothing, I just let, I have video footage of Fosse saying everything saying he didn't have an original step, that he got it from black people that he bought. Like, I was like, yeah, just listen to Fawcett. I ain't got to say nothing. And then I did some on, um, I juxtaposed uh, uh, Balanchine. I was like, this is where that step you see in, in, in Who Cares is actually this step. And so he did it with a ballet aesthetic. And I did the same thing with Paul Taylor. I was like, because y'all don't know like, that that even though you see Company B and you realize, okay, Company B was inspired by World War II in that time, but you don't know how that, that step he's doing in his choreography is actually this step. And it doesn't look like that, it looks like this. Y'all don't know that. So anything I see in film, I'm doing it with um, uh, Rich Man's Frug. I'm breaking that whole thing down. Like, cause, like when, when I see the like, concert jazz, when I, as soon as I see it, if they're doing a step that came from jazz, I know it instantly. I'm like, can't fool me, I know what that is. I know exactly where you got that from. 
And so I just like, there it is. So I'm, I'm gonna continue doing those, and do some more of those. So yeah, you can follow me uh, on Instagram. Everything is Montel Durden. On Instagram, it's just Montel Durden. On Facebook, it's Montel Il Cosby Durden. That's I-L-L-K-O-Z-B-Y. But Instagram is Montel Durden. Twitter should be Montel Durden. Uh, Patreon should be Montel Durden. My website is MonselDurden.com, but Intangible Roots is IntangibleRoots.org. The festival director is Shoshona Courier. The director of training programs is Allie James. Sound recording and editing by me, Lindsay LaPointe. For more information about the festival, visit BatesDanceFestival.org.